Thank you, Shauna. Speaking of pickup, uh, you may notice that our youth and Howard are not here and some other leaders are not here. They are at Messiah's Ranch and uh, they are having winter retreat, not very wintry, uh, but they are having a winter retreat and it wraps up today. And uh, so um, I think Howard and them would be grateful if you have kids that you actually go pick them up. Uh, so make sure you get out there and pick up the kids this afternoon. Uh, I'm thinking about leaving mine out there a little bit longer. We'll see what happens. If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Alan Pittman, and I have the pleasure of serving as senior pastor and one of our elders here. And we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us today. I know I had a chance to meet some of you before the service. And some of you are visiting from out of state. Others of you may be here in town. Some of you are watching online as well. We would love for you to keep coming and worshiping with us. If you are from out of town, whenever you're in town, come be a part of us. If you're here in town you don't have a church home, we would love for you to kind of jump in and be a part of what God is doing in this place. Um, I actually have a couple friends from Shreveport, or actually uh, Houghton, Texas. If you know anything about Houghton, uh, you should know one thing, and that is God's team's quarterback is from Houghton. Uh, Dak Prescott is from Houghton. And uh, so anyway, he's got some friends here from uh, Shreveport, Bossier area. And it's interesting because God allowed me to run into folks from that church and another church uh, this week in a couple ways. Uh, uh, the Butlers are here with us today. And then also uh, this past week I went to, um, to Shreveport for a funeral. Uh, a good friend of ours uh, passed away with a heart attack at an early age and was able to see good friends uh, this week. And I was reminded of something. It, it has a point. I'm not just talking about uh, Shreveport. And that is I was reminded of how important a church family is. Um, you see, when I got back and spent time with my friends, it wasn't like we had to like re-engage and have an awkward conversation. No, we, we knew each other. We knew each other well. We were in each other's lives for about eight or nine years of our lives as we were a part of a church family together. And I was reminded of how vital a church family is. I'm thankful for this church family. I'm thankful that for in this season and preferably and pr uh, prayerfully uh, we'll be a part of this for a couple more decades, right? Like, I love this church family. And if you don't have a church family that you're connected with, I plead with you to get into one. If you're in our city, there's lots of good Bible-believing congregations in our city, and we happen to be one of them, and we would love for you to be a part of what God's doing here. If you live elsewhere, plug into a local church family, because God has not called us to do this life uh, by ourselves. Uh, he's called us to make the lights go on and off, apparently. He's called us to do life in community. We need each other. We need each other for support. We need each other for accountability. Yesterday I had a good text conversation with my D group just about what God's doing in our lives and how we need each other. We need each other. All right, a couple quick things. Number one, we are collecting a benevolence offering after the service today. The offering plates are in the back. Put them in there if you want to, and then also you can give online. That will go to families as they have needs in our community. Also, Easter is coming like, it's almost March. Easter is coming. It's on March 31st. Start inviting people now. If you'll invite them, they will come, I promise. We've got a Palm Sunday service on March 24th. We have a Good Friday service on March the 29th. We have a sunrise service, breakfast, and a Sunday uh, Easter service on March the 31st. You'll get more information about that soon, but don't miss out on that. Along those same lines, during the month of March, we'll be collecting 
the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. See what we did there? We're collecting it at Easter time. And this will go all towards uh, North American missionaries and missions and ministries and church plants around the country. We are asking our church family to do something this year with that offering. We're asking you to give above and beyond what you normally would give to this offering. And we're asking that 100% of the families and individuals who call this place home give something in the month of March. It could be a dollar. It could be $1,000. It could be something in between. But prayerfully consider how is the Lord wanting you to give. And let's get to the end of March and be able to look back. I won't know who gave, but I'll know the family unit numbers that gave. We'll be able to celebrate. Oh, my goodness, look, 100% of our church family gave towards that. So that's couple things coming up all right we are um in the book of micah when you came in you should have picked up a worship guide there'll be a place to take notes you can see you got lots of room to take notes as i didn't get my notes to the office in time this week with uh everything going on in shreveport but i'd encourage you to use this to take notes as we go along grab a bible if you don't have one with you there should be a hardbound black copy of god's word in a chair near you underneath you around you if you don't own a Bible or know someone that does need a Bible, take that home with you. That'll be our gift to you from the church. Got a couple questions for you. They're crowd participation. All right, which one has more ice on it? Iceland or Greenland? Very good. Y'all are so good. Greenland, yeah. So Greenland has more ice. Greenland has 80% coverage of ice, whereas Iceland only has 11% coverage. Here's another question. Raise your hand, shout hallelujah or something. Have any of y'all ever been fishing out at Big Lake, Texas? How did you fish at Big Lake, Texas? Yeah. There is not a lake at Big Lake. Right, but not in Big Lake. Big Lake is a dry lake, and so you didn't catch anything, right? So only if there's some kind of high runoff rain event. I mention those things because those names are misnomers. You're called one thing and we see something different, right? There's something significant, ironic, or whatever you might want to say about the names of those places. I say that because when we look at Micah this morning in chapter 1, we're going to see some misnomers, some interesting things about the names of these places that may or may not fit with the story that we see here. So let's go ahead and jump in. We're in the second half of chapter 1 of Micah, beginning in verse 8. We're going to read Micah 1, verses 8 and 9. Here's what Micah says. For this, and we'll talk about what this is in a minute. For this, I will lament and wail. I, I can't say that word any other way. I pronounce W-E-L-L-W-H-A-A-L-E or whatever it is. All those are the same. For this, I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches for her wound is incurable and it has come to judah it has reached to the gate of my people to jerusalem shauna did a good job a moment ago sharing with us micah the prophet is lamenting he is mourning he is grieving he is sad he is lamenting for samaria because Samaria is going to experience destruction. And that same destruction that is coming Samaria's way is now coming Jerusalem's way. If you've, got, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, I hope you have our little cheat sheet. It's actually a reference guide, but I like to call it a cheat sheet. 
it looks like this on this side and has all of the notes on the back side. If you don't have one and you'd like one, they are at the welcome table. In fact, you can go grab one now if you want one, or you can get one after the service. Put this in your Bible, keep up with it, because it's going to kind of have some notes that remind you of a few things. And so we see here that there are two kingdoms of Israel. There's the north kingdom, which is called what? Okay, no, not Jerusalem. What's that? Samaria, right? Samaria is the capital. It's also called Israel or Ephraim, right? The southern kingdom, what's that called? Judah, and then the capital there is Jerusalem. So in the ch verses we have read previously, last week, the, 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 um, the, the prophet has told Samaria that, that destruction is coming their way for their sin. And so when we get to verse 8, and he says, For this I lament and well, it's talking about the impending doom and destruction of Samaria, the northern kingdom. Micah is going to lament and well because of the sin and destruction that's coming their way. In fact, this morning's sermon title, I know it's not on your uh, worship guide because I didn't have that title then, but the title I've chosen is Lamenting Sin and Destruction. Th this whole chapter or this whole section of the chapter is talking about lamenting. And the thing we lament is sin and destruction related to our sin. Lament. Here's a definition of lament. Lament is passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And so the rest of the verses we're going to read this morning, we're going to point to some cultural expressions of lament and mourning. Whenever we are sad, whenever we're grieving and mourning, it looks one way. When the people of Israel or Judah would lament and mourn, it would look another way. Oftentimes, our grieving looks like this. We sometimes will go to our house and be by ourselves, and it will be quiet. Maybe some friends will come over and kind of do that in privacy. But in this case, they would lament and mourn publicly, loudly, and therefore we would hear the wailing and crying and weeping and all of these outward expressions of the sadness that's going on. In fact, look at verse 8. He says, I'm lamenting and wailing, and because of this, I will go stripped and naked. Now, I will say this. The prophets did some very interesting things. In fact, Ezekiel cooks over dung. We'll talk about that another day. But all kinds of weird things. We don't know for sure if Mike is literally completely stripped and naked or if it's simply referring to him being barefoot and taking his outer garment off. We're not really sure. And the reason we don't know for sure is because sometimes the Hebrew is fairly obscure and it's hard to fully understand the full meaning of some words. And so we know at the bare minimum, no pun intended, that Micah has his shoes off and he's taking his outer garment off and perhaps he is naked all the way down. He's not getting naked or taking clothes off just to be random or weird. Instead, it is a sign or an indication of his lamenting as he takes his clothes off or portions of them. And also as he's barefoot and has his outer garment off, it could be pointing to what it's going to look like when people are exiled as they're taken out in rough situations. It's pointing to his sadness and his identification with those who are carted off in exile. If you keep looking at the end of verse 8, it says he's crying out like a jackal and he's mourning like an ostrich. You all know how ostriches mourn, right? You've seen it. Okay, that was supposed to be funny, but it wasn't. But the idea is there's some random animals. Depending on which translation you have, they may even have a different animal listed. 
The idea being this. These animals screech, holler, make noises, harsh, impassioned. It's that kind of response to the sin and doom that is coming. He cries out loudly like a wild animal. Then look down in verse 9. And it says, her wound is incurable. Who is her? Her is in reference to Samaria, to the northern kingdom, Israel, Ephraim. It says that her wound, and this wound would be her sin, her sin of idolatry, and her sin is incurable, meaning her sin and has brought all kinds of plagues and problems and disease. It goes on from there in verse 9 and says that her sin has come to Judah. It's advanced to Judah. It's reached the gate of J- Jerusalem. And what he means by that is the sin of the northern kingdom is infected and moved over into the southern kingdom. And therefore, because of the sin of the north, they have received destruction. And uh, Micah is concerned that the sin of Judah is going to end in the same way. He's lamenting what's coming to his people. You'll notice in verse 9, there's past tense here. He says here that it has come. It has reached. And the idea is, even though it has not literally yet happened, the certainty with which it will happen is so strong that it's as if it has happened. Does that make sense? Like God is bringing punishment. Micah identifies with his people. He says, it's reached to the gate of my people. And it's interesting because Micah does two things, and they are not contradictory of each other. He identifies with his people and he laments and mourns for them and cries out on their behalf. And yet at the same time, he accepts and understands God's punishment and God's wrath. We are called to love the people that are in our lives so much so that we point to the truth of God's word. All too often, we love the people in our lives and so therefore we don't want to step on their toes and we kind of shrink back from the truth of the word of God. We can't do that. As we keep reading, we're going to see that the idea is that the point of the prophecy from last week that we read in the beginning of chapter 1 was an attempt now to try to get Judah to wake up. He says, guys, Judah, Jerusalem, this is what's happening to Samaria. Don't let it happen to you. Wake up and respond to God. All right, that's kind of where we're headed. Micah has a deep passion because he cares about his people. My question is, do you and I have such a passion for the people in our lives that we would care this much? Let's keep reading. Chapter uh, 1 still, verses 10 through 15. I'm not perfect at reading the names of cities, and there's going to be a few of them in here. He says, tell it not, not in Gath, weep not at all in Bethlehem, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shaphir, in nakedness and shame, the inhabitants of Zanan do not come out. The lamentation of Beth Ezel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Marath wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore, you shall give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath. The houses of Akzib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Mereshah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. All right. So, 
You know where all those cities are, right? All right, good. I'm glad to hear you say that. He's lamenting because these cities are about to face the terror of God's punishment coming their way. There's 12 cities that are listed here, and they're going to face disaster and exile. We don't know for sure when this prophecy was given, but very likely between the year 722 and the year 701. You're like, what's the significance of 722 and 701? The good news is both of those dates are on this cheat sheet. 722, that's when Samaria fell. 701 is when Assyria sieges against Jerusalem. So it's somewhere probably in between all of that. I want to look real quickly at this map. And it's going to show you where some of the towns are. So you can see up here is Jerusalem. You can see this is a small area because this is only 15 miles, this little um, legend or key is. You've got the area of Philistia. You've got the area of Judah. Most of these towns are certain locations. And then there's two that have question marks by them because we're not really sure if that's the right location or not. Bethlehem is listed just for reference. It's not one of the cities listed in Micah at this point. Uh, but you can see all of these areas. Morsheth Gath is where, um, where uh, Micah is from. That's found in chapter 1, verse 1. And you can see how they are all relatively close. The idea being, this is the foothills of Judah. It's also called the Shephelah. And the foothills area southwest of Jerusalem, kind of in the area of, um, of uh, uh, Micah's stomping grounds. That's why he says uh, this is his, uh, his people. And Micah used some word plays. Remember how I said Iceland, Greenland, Big Lake, and all that? You're like, Alan, I didn't see a single one of those word plays. You read it, I didn't laugh once. I don't get it. All right, so here's the deal. In order to see the word plays, we have to understand the Hebrew. Martin Luther said this, We are absolutely insane then when we undertake the interpretation of the prophets without a very great skill and understanding of the Hebrew language. So I'm going to try to help us with the Hebrew language of why there are some word plays here and the significance of them. As we go through these, please understand these word plays are not intended to be really corny dad jokes. Like Micah's not trying to be funny. Micah is taking something that's culturally true of his people where they see the significance of names either for the good or the bad and then he applies it together for the message that God has given to him. All right? So look at verse 10. In verse 10, he says, tell it not in Gath. A couple of things here. That's the exact same wording that's found in, you can jot it down, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20, um, David finds out that Saul, the king, and his son Jonathan were killed, and he doesn't want the people in Gath, who were the people in Philistia, to find out about it and relish the fact that everything has happened, and so he tells them not to tell it. It's the same thing here where Mike is saying, don't talk about it because we don't want sympathy. We don't want rejoicing from outside observers, so don't talk about it. And another interesting thing is the word gath sounds like the word tell, T-E-L-L -L in Hebrew. So there's kind of a word play there. Then he switches gears and he tells another place, Bethlehephra, to mourn. And the way they're to mourn is to roll or wallow in the dirt. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? But the idea is that that was a way that people would grieve is rolling around in the dirt the interesting thing is beth means house and lay afra means dust and so this is the house of dust and so it's fitting for their town that the house of dust would wallow in the dust in in lament verse 11 has shafer shafer sounds like the hebrew word for beautiful well if you look at the rest of verse 11 as it relates to shafer it says that they're going to pass on their way 
in nakedness and shame. And so Schaefer means beautiful or sounds like beautiful. That's in contrast to nakedness and shame that would come from their sin. Then you go down to the next place, which is Zayanen. Zayanen means or sounds like the word come out, to come out of somewhere. And yet you'll find in this verse that they do not come out. So here's the residents of a city called come out, and they don't come out. Why do they not come out? Because they're terrified, they're scared, they're afraid. They're scared of the conqueror that's coming their way. Let's look down at, at uh, the rest of verse 11. You have Beth Ezel. This town is, means house of nearness, meaning that there's support around you, but the reality is no one is supporting them, and everything's going to be taken out from underneath them. Look down at verse 12. Marath sounds like the Hebrew word for bitter. And so these people who are bitter are actually hopeful that something good is going to come, and the reality is it doesn't. But instead, we see in verse 12 that disaster is coming down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Disaster is a word that's found over and over and over in the book of Micah because of the doom that's coming to the people for their sin. If you don't know this about Jerusalem, the word Jerusalem carries with it the idea of the city of peace. And so Jerusalem is the city of peace, and yet, ironically, they're not going to have peace because disaster is coming their way. Then we go on down to verse 13. In verse 13, we're introduced to the city of Lachish. And Lachish sounds like the word for team of horses. And in Lachish, they had chariots. And so you'll see there in verse 13 that it says, In Lachish, they are to harness their steeds or their horses to the chariots. Why would you normally put uh, horses on your chariots? So you would go out in battle, right? In this scenario, they're not going out in battle with their chariots. They're hightailing it out. They're not fighting. They're flighting. They're leaving. The interesting thing is this. Lachish was a militarily strong city. And they had lots of chariots there, hence the name, right? And so the, the reality is this. One of the major sins of the people of Israel and Judah is that they trusted in chariots and military power instead of in God. And so in this scenario, Lachish is guilty of doing the very thing that they are collectively guilty for. So look at verse 13. As it talks about Lachish, it says what? It was the beginning of sin. The sin of Lachish was the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion. You're like, okay, wait a minute. Where is Zion? You don't have it on the map. Does anybody know what Zion is? Jerusalem. It's another word for Jerusalem. If you hear the word Zion, it points to the Jerusalem specifically and sometimes to Israel as a whole, but usually to Jerusalem. Why Zion? Because Zion was a hill that Jerusalem was built on. Zion is the hill where the city of David is built. And so what he's saying is the people of Jerusalem began to sin because of some of the things that the people in Lachish were doing as they were trusting in military conquest and power and with negotiations with other countries. And so now he's pointing, now that's not done a thing for you. Instead, you're going to run or hightail it out of the city. All right, let's keep going. Verse 14, Morasheth Gath. As I said, that's Micah's hometown. We find that in verse 1, chapter 1. So these towns that are listed in these verses are in Micah's region. And so he has a personal investment, and he wants something to change. The word Morasheth Gath carries with it the idea of one who is betrothed. 
Do y'all remember what betrothed means? It's like in between marriage and engagement. It's more than engagement in our culture. It's less than marriage, although it is marriage because they had to get divorced if they were betrothed, if they didn't get married, but they weren't, having, they weren't engaged in sexual activity yet. So it's like, anyway, that's what betrothal is. So Morsheth Gath means one who is betrothed. And then if you look at the rest of that, it says in verse 14, therefore you shall give parting gifts to Morsheth Gath. This parting gifts word is a little bit hard to understand in the Hebrew, but apparently based on the name of the city, it's probably not parting gifts like, like door prizes as people leave a party, but rather probably more along the lines of a dowry. So the one who is betrothed would have a dowry right and normally that dowry would go to the one who they're marrying but in this scenario the dowry all the money is going to the Assyrians the conquerors as they're saying farewell because they're about to be exiled the one who is exiling them will say farewell to them all right let's keep going I know it's a whirlwind of things but let's keep going Axib in verse 14 this word sounds like the Hebrew word for deceptive or deceit deceptive or deceit and it says here in verse 14 the people of um, Axib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel the kings of Israel were able to rely on them but they couldn't because it was all a scam they weren't really helpful the kings needed their help but they didn't offer any side note kings of Israel is this in reference to the northern kingdom or to the whole of Israel we don't know for sure but probably the whole of Israel which makes the word even all the more confusing because it's in reference to Israel, the northern kingdom, already being destroyed and probably talking about the kings of Judah. Either way, the people of Axib didn't do the things they needed to. You have a picture here of disappointment. I had a chance to go to Israel uh, back in the day. And uh, in Israel, they have wadis, W-A-D-I. It's a Hebrew word, all right? Wadi. A wadi is basically a dry riverbed, much like Big Lake, where... Uh, Aaron has caught lots of fish. But a wadi is a dry riverbed. The only time there's water there is if there's a big rainfall and then it runs through. It's kind of like the streets of College Station for a few minutes after a rain, right? So if you were traveling in Israel and you needed something to drink and you saw a valley that looked like a riverbed and you got over the crest of that hill and you got there and there was no water, it'd be a disappointment, right? So it's that kind of picture that Axib is a disappointment. They offer help, but they don't really have any help to give. Now let's look down at verse 15. In verse 15, we see another town, and that town is Marishah. Marishah uh, sounds like the word for conqueror, okay? Conqueror. But here it says that he's bringing a conqueror against them. So Marishah is not going to experience the good side of a conqueror. They're going to experience the bad side of a conqueror. Do you see how over and over and over again, Micah uses the name of the place to point to the impending punishment and doom that's coming, and there's a lack of hope that's found in all of these things. All right? I might have even left out a city. It seems like I did. And if I did, we can catch up with that later. And then at the end of verse 15, Adullam. I don't know if you're familiar with the town of Adullam or not. Write down this verse, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. Do you remember when David was king but not yet king? Do you remember all of that? And do you remember who was king when David was king but not yet king? Who was he? Saul. Do you remember what Saul was doing to David when that was all going on? He's persecuting, trying to kill him, right? And so Saul is like pursuing David. 
Well, the verse that I just gave you from 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1, we see that David shows up at Adullam because in Adullam they had caves. And so, so David would hide in the caves to try to be safe from the pursuit of Saul the king. So in this scenario, we've come back to Adullam, and they are hiding again to try to avoid the conquering nation of Assyria. There's a lack of certainty about what is meant by the glory of Israel uh, in this verse, because of the Hebrew being a little obscure. But at the end of verse 15, it says, the glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. There's some who say that the glory of Israel is just in reference to the leaders or the nobility of Israel and how it's ironic because the ones who should be protecting the people are actually hiding out, scared for their lives. There's also the possibility that the glory of Israel is actually in reference to a, a coming Messiah that one day would come and rescue them. The word glory is kabod, and perhaps you've heard the word ichabod, and says that means that glory has left. Glory of God, kabod, I don't pronounce it correctly, okay, but that's a Hebrew word. And so it's a strong word, glory, that would oftentimes refer to God and his glory and his majesty and his power. But in all of these things, we see a list of 12 cities that all will be overtaken by the Assyrians as we lead up to 701 and then eventually by the Babylonians. So, there are word plays in each of these things and they're all getting to the same thing. Their sin has them in hot water and God is about to unleash his punishment. Again, Micah is hoping that they'll wake up and do something in response to God's goodness and God's glory. I don't think in the six years I've been here I've ever read in a service from the message, but I'm about to read from the message this morning. The message is not a translation, it's a paraphrase, which means that Eugene Peterson, who helped write it or did write it, he at some places took the Greek and the Hebrew and tried to write it, and then he put it in words that might be better to understand. Even some of the message is kind of weird to me, and in others it is helpful. It's very much a paraphrase. The reason I'm going to read it this morning is because he has changed the names of the cities to the meaning of the names of the cities. So in his paraphrase, you're going to see the significance of the wordplay. So I'm not going to re-preach it. I'm just going to let this maybe help you hear everything that I just spit out uh, as a fire hydrant at you, okay? All right, so here we go. Is, is it going to be on the screen there? All right, yeah, good deal. All right, there we go. All right, here is what it says. This is Micah chapter 1, verses 10 through 15 in the paraphrase called the message don't gossip about this in Telltown, gath don't waste your tears in dustville which is i gotta get back to my notes dustville which is um uh, beth lefra in dustville roll in the dust and then you can just follow the towns from there in alarm town the alarm is sounded the citizens of exitburg will never get out alive Lament, last stand city. There's nothing in you left standing. The villagers of Bittertown wait in vain for sweet peace. Harsh judgment has come to God and entered Peace City. That's Jerusalem. And all you who live in Chariotville, get in your chariots for flight. You led the daughter of Zion into trusting not God but chariots. Similar sins in Israel also got their start in you. Go ahead and give your goodbye gifts to Goodbyeville. Mirage Town beckoned 
but disappointed Israel's kings. Inheritance City has lost its inheritance. Glory Town has seen its lost, last glory. So maybe those word pictures will help you see it. Destruction, doom, punishment, conquering, exile is coming. Judah has followed right smack dab in the path of Israel's sin, and now they must face the consequences as well. Let's see how he finishes this chapter in Micah chapter 1, verse 16. This is back to the ESV. It's not the message. And here's what it says. Make yourselves bald. Cut off your hair. For the children of your delight. He's talking about the towns. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. This is a lament for the exiles as they leave. Cutting the hair was a sign of grief and lament as well. It showed great sorrow. And so what he's saying is that Jerusalem is going to mourn for the loss of her children, for these cities around them, these towns that were going to be sent into exile. It's really not dissimilar from what Jesus said when he lamented or mourned over the city of Jerusalem. Perhaps you want to write this down. Look up later, Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. Micah wants Jerusalem to ask this question. How shall we escape from Assyria? The answer is God and God alone. Isaiah, which was written at the same time that Micah was, asks that very thing. How shall we escape from Assyria? That's found in Isaiah chapter 20, verse 6. All right. Now for my first point. All right. Here it is. It's the overarching point of the whole thing. It's the only point I have today. The proper response to sin and destruction is lament. Now, granted, after lament comes repentance. I get that. Okay, so don't, like, think that I'm short-sighted here. I'm just saying the initial, immediate response to our sin and impending judgment and doom is lament, grief, mourning, crying out to God for help. That's what this whole message is about. Notice that Micah laments the sins of his people. So while we should lament our individual sin, we should also lament the sins of the people. All too often in our culture, I hear this said. Oh, we don't need to ask God to forgive us for anything in the past because I'm not in the past. I can't change the past. I'm just saying sometimes when a sin has not been dealt with in the past, it's good for us to lament that sin in the present that the Lord might bring restoration. Oh, I didn't commit that sin. I don't need to ask God's forgiveness. Micah didn't commit those sins either, but he, he mourned it. He asked God for forgiveness, right? Corporate lament is good. Micah took practical steps within his cultural upbringing to show that lament. He disrobed, at least partially, to show that. He cut his hair. He talks about all of this. He did this not for show, not for look at me, but he did that for God's glory and for the good of the people. So here are my questions. I have three questions for you. Well, actually, I have more than three questions, but I have three that are going to show on the screen. Some of them are going to set up those questions. Let's pull it off the screen for just a second. Some of that's going to set up those questions. And here's the overarching question I want to ask you. What role does lament play in your life? This morning as I got up to do the pastoral prayer and I said we're going to do a prayer of lament you're like I don't even know what lament is like I don't know what that is and I'm not being critical I'm just saying we don't see the importance of it this morning 
I want us to see the importance of lamenting sin and doing something about it. Last week we talked about identifying sin in our life. This morning we're going to take a step further and we're going to lament that sin and then we're going to seek the Lord's help as we do that. So here are the questions. The first one is this. When was the last time you lamented your sin? Last week we said we need to beat the idols of our lives into pieces. We said that we can't do it on our own. We have to do it with God's help. So my question with this one is, have you taken the time to lament your sin? It's one thing to say out loud, I've got this sin. It's another to really grieve it, mourn it, cry out to God, say, God, I have, I have offended you with my sin. Have you lamented your sin? Because all too often we'll be quick to say the sin and move on as if it's almost no big deal. But lamenting our sin allows us to wallow in that, not wallow in the sin. Like that sounded bad. Like I'm going to just go ahead and sin some more. What I mean by that is just wallow in the reality of the depth and gravity of our sin. So when's the last time you lamented in your sin? The second question, when was the last time you lamented the spiritual condition of our nation? Hear me say this next thing, you have to. I am not saying that our country is uniquely God's country. I'm saying every country on this planet should collectively seek to follow God, and therefore every country on this planet should lament the sins of their nation. Are we squared away? We understand what I'm saying and not saying here? This is not a political statement. This is not anything like that. This is a spiritual statement. I'm talking about the moral filth of our nation. Have you repented and lamented that sin on behalf of our nation and culture? Again, you're like, I I, I didn't do it. But you live in this nation. You're, You're a victim of the depravity of this nation, and you contribute to it at times as well. So have you lamented? Have you have you been broken? That's another way to say it. Right, have you been broken before the Lord when you see the, I started to say C-R-A-P. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that up here or not. I just did, I guess. When you see the junk in our nation, have you lamented the depravity of our nation? And then the third question. This church here could be Living Hope or any other church. It's not just our church, it's the church at large. When was the last time you lamented the lukewarm spiritual condition of the church? As long as the church is lukewarm, sin will be rampant. Oh, but Alan, we come together and we sing some good songs, we raise our hands and we shout a hallelujah. But is the Lord's work penetrating our lives individually and collectively in such a way that we are on mission with God or is there sin because of the lukewarmness of God's church? It is time that we get serious about what it means to be the church. I'm not saying to come to a 10.30 a.m. service, although we should be serious when we come to worship and we should be reverent. I'm saying, are we serious about the functionality and the life of the church? At our church, we talk about how we're called to be the church and we're called to be the church to the glory of God. Is our church glorifying God by how we live out our everyday life and not just what we do when we come together on Sunday morning? I guarantee you 
that the sins of the individual members of this church, including myself, are the kinds of things that can hold back the glory of God to its fullest extent within the life of this church because God wants his people to be set aside holy and perfect and called out by his name for his glory and his sake. So have we lamented those times where we are spiritually lukewarm? He's calling us to take seriously the calling that he has on our lives. It's one thing to say, let's be, a uh, let's be a disciple, make disciples, be the church of the glory of God. It's entirely something different to actually live it out. Shauna did a great job this morning sitting with the kids. Don't you love it when you have to fill in for somebody and you get like a, just a hard ta text? She's like, how in the world am I going to say anything to the kids with this? She did a great job talking about the seriousness and gravity of our sin and that should make us sad because we offend God and his glory and then we should cry out for help and the good news is this help is on the way in fact that helps already come right his name is Jesus so when we get to the end of a message like this in the book of Micah and the cycle doesn't have any of the good news please remember your little cheat sheet please look at it help is on the way Help, let me put my glasses back on. The recurring theme at the end, healing and restoration for those who repent. Micah doesn't just lament sin. He's doing it that his people might repent of their sins and trust in God. This morning, some of us need to sit in the gravity of our sins. But as we do that, we do so with hope, knowing that Jesus brings forgiveness of our sins. So here's the gospel. All of us are hopeless. And all of us are in our brokenness. All of us are sinners. All of us are facing impending doom and destruction. But God in his mercy and in his grace sent his son Jesus to walk this planet that if we would place our faith and our trust and repent of our sins, that we would experience his forgiveness, that we would be made whole with him, that we would no longer be headed into exile of sin and hell. Instead, we would be on a journey in life with his presence of the Holy Spirit alive in our lives, headed to a place that's very real called heaven. Have you trusted in Jesus for salvation? And if you have trusted in Jesus for salvation, are you living in obedience? Not to maintain your salvation, because that's works-based, but because of your salvation, are you living out what God has called you to do? Church, it's time for us to get serious about sin and about our mission with God and love him and serve him and follow him. I'm going to lead us in prayer. At the end of the prayer, we're going to have a couple of songs of response. The first one uh, I'll be available here at the front. You can come pray with me. You can come pray at the altar on your own. You can grab somebody and come with you. You can lament your sin. You can repent of your sin. You can trust in Jesus. You can say yes to God for salvation for the first time. You can say yes to baptism or church membership or taking that next step. But let's do as the Lord leads. The second song will pass some offering plates. You can drop your offering, uh, offering envelopes there. If you're giving into benevolence, go to the back. You can do it there. And then your connection card can go as well. But let's respond as the Lord leads us this morning. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for a time to come and worship you this morning. God, you've called us to look at the seriousness and gravity of our sin. You've called us to carry the weight of that. Not, we don't carry the weight because we can't carry it, but to sit in the weight of that so that we can see that we can't do it and that only Christ brings healing and restoration and hope. So as we call out to you, as we confess our sins, we cry for help from Jesus. Father, bring salvation this morning. Bring restoration this morning. Bring healing and hope this morning. Father, have your way in and among us. God, may we not be lukewarm people that you're ready to spit out of your mouth, but may we be on fire for you because of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Have your way this morning. Have your way this week as we walk out of this place. May we be living on mission with and for you by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?